Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab. My name is Goose. And my name is Charlie. Charlie, what are we talking about today? I thought I just want to put this out there. I thought today's conversation was really interesting. It really is a topic that speaks to me as a business owner, but also so many, and it's reflecting of the so many conversations that I've had lately. But what did we cover? I feel like from my perspective, we were kind of on the same page with an unexpected conversation, but one that I think is deep in our souls. There's something in me that's been, I suppose, thinking about or dwelling over many of the things. That, and the idea is, is now the time to bring risk into the equation? Is now the time to start putting up the shields or playing defensive? Mm-hmm. Or is now the time to just go balls to the wall and really swing for the fence and not worry about the other side of it? Yeah, exactly. And I think that I think every situation is going to be a little different. But if we can, if the, the big takeaways about this in, in this episode, I think are going to help you to maybe assess risk in business and property and to try and cut through the noise and to be able to make sure you're making decisions that are going to support your long-term goals, plus give you short-term prosperity and enjoyment and happiness. Because I don't I don't subscribe to this idea that we have to live a, uh, a diminished or frugal life right now in order to have some lofty goal down the end of the road where it all makes sense. You've got to live life today and enjoy your, your current time. And you've got to... Enjoy, I believe in frugal hedonism and living life to the fullest every single day. But at the same time, particularly in economic environments like this, we need to make decisions that are also going to set us up to have success in the future, not just today. So we covered a lot in this episode. And this episode is going to be awesome for any business owner, particularly particularly any business owner that is experiencing some wins at the moment. Um, but any business owner really, and also any property investor that is wondering how to navigate a frothy market where there seems to be a lot of hype and a lot of hubris and property prices seem to be going up and how to navigate the thinking around making these decisions to create a really sustainable sustainable business and a really sustainable property business as well. Anything else, Charlie? I love the way you brought that in. Let's get into the episode. Awesome, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And of course, if you like this, make sure you share it with someone. If you're whatever platform you're enjoying this on, make sure you like it, share it with somebody else, send it to a family family member, friend or a loved one. Uh, And of course, let us know if there's anything that you want us to cover on this podcast to help enhance your wealth journey. But without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. And I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. You're with Goose and Charlie. Charlie, how are you? Absolutely fantastic, Goose. I mean, I must mean... Well, do you ever feel like there's a collision of things in your life just going right? Like sometimes you just strike after a bit of a rut, which I admit I was in. I was facing some challenges with the banks. Uh, You feel like everything's starting to go your way. Yes. Yes, I do. It's an interesting thought though, right? Because what actually, and I know that I'm instantly digressing from from kind of what we're going to talk about today, but you've got to wonder what, like why some things, why you tend to go through phases where things just seem to line up. And why you go through phases where things don't seem to line up. And there's there's studies on all of this kind of stuff, you know. Is is it flow? Is it law of attraction? Is it like and what is this on a on a like a physical, scientific and also a metaphysical and spiritual level that causes that to happen? Because I think a lot of people are, I think there's a lot of coll- collective uh, experience that relates to this, particularly if we if we look at it a more on a more macro basis and say, well, Last year, there was all in 2020. There was all of the, uh, you know, you know, social and economic issues that came with COVID 19. 
that put a lot of roadblocks in place for people. And then it's almost like there's been a pent up amount of opportunity and you know view opportunity in whatever way you want, whether it be you know um, happiness, joy, like like pressure, basically a backlog. And it feels like the plug's been taken out a little bit. And it's starting to flow, and now we're sort of getting the 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 benefit of that in some ways. But I mean, but then again, in, in others, not because I know that you recently had some issues with uh, with 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 lenders and stuff like that. So you kind of hit all these different loggerheads. Do you have any thoughts on any of that? I feel for me, this is just me personally. I feel like my life is very entwined. So when mm. one thing starts going wrong, it leads to the other. So for example, if business is good, let's say I'm making more money, well then I get to buy more property. So it's like, oh, I'm winning in two areas. And then as I'm buying more property, it's like, well, suddenly I'm happier from the property and there's a knock-on effect that I'm spending better time with my partner in the evening. So then all of a sudden it's relationships, property and business are all firing and I'm getting joy and bliss from it. Because of that, I'm probably working out and looking after my health a bit better as well. Yes. But on the on the conversion, it's like, all right, and, and this did happen. It's like, you know, what if you come into work one day and your offshore shore team, so my some of my team in the Philippines, which uh, some of them are probably listening to this, it's like, oh, yeah, a few of you have got, you know, dealing with COVID or health issues or challenges. And then it's like, oh, no. And then there's like uh, dealing with that means working bigger days to reorganize work mm. or hiring extra resources to help cover that work. And then, okay, well, that means that I'm working more hours, so I'm not going to be as focused on my health. So then it's like this compounded losing effect. Mm. So the synchronicities and um, intertwining of all the activities in my life have become very apparent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is interesting. I, I think you need to actively compound your wins. Like I think you can't passively compound your wins. I think you, you, if, you, if you're passive about it, you may find some wins compound and then some losses compound. And then holistically, you're going to stay, I guess, like on the, in, the, in the middle, right? on the median band. Well, I, I had a mentor very early and he says, if you expect to be always winning, he's like, you're constantly going to be very upset with that. Like yeah. being able to deal with the cycles of life, like everything in our life is cyclical. We have seasons, yep. we have boom markets, we have bulls and bears and all kinds of things. It's like that side of it is a different skill set. So being able to deal with challenges and knowing it will pass is a, a very healthy mindset to take into things. An expectation to always be winning only leaves you with the opportunity to be absolutely let down by that. Yeah, totally. But I think it's, yeah, I 100% agree. Like beauty is only ever in contrast. But I think that you need to, my point is that I think you need to actively compound your wins. I think a lot of people have wins and then go, yes, that was a win. And they celebrate it and they forget that they actually, what they need to do to strategically play chess, not checkers, is they need to go, oh, that's awesome. How do I compound that? So how do I turn that win specifically, not passively, but how do I actually take that win, turn it into another win, and how do I then turn that win into another win and and try and manufacture that? Because I think like the difference between people like Richard Branson, for example, who's got what 200 companies and 15 of them are over a billion dollars and you know all of this kind of stuff and he owns an island and yeah yeah yahoo is like he's a you know a, a figurehead for like freedom and entrepreneurship and all this kind of stuff like at the end of the day he's just a guy right he's just a he's just a dude he's not he's not some he's not from outer space you know he doesn't have three brains or anything like that in fact you know couldn't read couldn't write didn't he, he didn't even know what net profit was until about his 20th year in business. He had no idea between net and gross, which is really, really fascinating. Just didn't understand the terms. Um, so you, here you've got an average guy who hasn't done anything special except compound wins, right? And I think that compounding your wins 
is actually the key to why some people get so so much further ahead because they're constantly going, how do I take this gain and how do I gain on the gain rather than going, hey, I've got a gain. Woo, let's use it uh, and have fun with it. But they're forgetting to play a longer game. Don't you find it interesting? I find this topic so fascinating. Is like Elon Musk is the one that comes to mind for me. Yeah. It's like he had a massive exit on PayPal. Yep. And it's like, why do anything? Like totally. Most people would do nothing after that point. So, and then he's done, no, no, I'm just going to completely risk it all and compound that win into another one. Totally. The, the antithesis of that is Tom from MySpace. Do you remember Tom from MySpace? Absolutely. <laughs> so, Tom from, was friend, you had to be friends with Tom. Everyone had to be friends with Tom from MySpace, right? So, he sold MySpace. I can't remember how much it was for, but it was for a lot of money. And that's it. He hasn't done anything else. He travels the world. He's, he's, he does photography um, because he's got all the time in the world. His photography's gotten quite good and he's starting to get known for his photography. But hey, he's just like, hey, he's got a camera, travels around, takes photos, and he's just living life, right? Now, that's, a, that's an example of using the win. Cool. He got the win. Now he's using it and great. And I hope, hope he's very happy, by the way. Oh, it I mean, sounds awesome. I mean, like, story. like, don't get me wrong. If someone, if someone gave me a couple of hundred million dollars, there would be a part of me that would be like, okay, so what do I do now? Just like get the boat, sail the world. Like, is that it? Game over. And I just go and go and live life and do that. The other part of me, though, would probably get very bored with that pretty quickly. And so, you so, say, and then you've got the example that you use of Elon Musk, where it's like you can get the same amount of money relatively and then go, okay, what am I going to do with this to compound the wins? And now he's, you know, you know, one of the richest men in the world. Not that being richest richest person in the world is is the goal, but the point is the point is that uh, you know there's 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 six or seven gradients beyond exponential. Did you know that? I didn't. Okay, so everyone knows exponential, right? Because they see these kind of J curve growth charts of like you know all these startup businesses that have become unicorns and all of this kind of stuff. And the general premise of exponential is. Is uh is the the quantum times by itself, right? So, uh, ten compounding on itself over and over and over, right? And so that's what gives you then increasingly large amount of number. If you've got comp- that's why compound growth works. But where it gets really interesting is as you start to compound on compounding, you go into all of these other gradients that are actually beyond exponential. <laughs> and that's, you know, they're like heptation, sextation, pentation, all of these different gradients that are actually steeper and magnified faster and further than uh, exponential growth, which is just fascinating. And so uh, I think people f- think that there's a limit when there actually is not a limit. And all you need to do is to think about how to compound on the compound. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> totally. So, it kind of it's a good it's a good little uh, good time for us to maybe start getting stuck into the topic we want to talk about today because one thing that I have noticed is that uh, a lot of businesses seem to be going pretty well at the moment. Likewise, I noticed the same. And also, the property market seems to be going pretty well at the moment. Seems a bit intertwined, like my <laughs> life. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And the interesting thing is, as I kind of mentioned at, uh, at the start of the episode, there, it's like it feels like there's been a bit of a uh, like a cork in the bottle, right? So we had last year where it felt like everyone was banging their heads against the wall. And then it's kind of the cork's been unleashed and now we've got this flurry of activity. Now, there's a lot of macro reasons for that. There's, um, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously stimulus packages and all of this kind of stuff. There's pent-up excitement, pent-up consumer spending, uh, consumer sentiments increased, all of that kind of stuff. But what that's doing is, I think, creating a bit of a sugar high. Now, very interestingly, Netflix recorded uh, a 90 so their their 
their target subscribers for the next quarter that, or this quarter, they've had a 90% drop off in from their target new subscribers per month, right? And so they're an example of a business which you know accelerated rapidly through the COVID-19 period, but essentially got a bit of a sugar high and now they're coming back. They're reverting to the mean, basically. Um, and so I think that um, I think that there's an element that is happening of that. There's an element of uh, that's happening with with businesses at the moment, which is fascinating because then, as a business owner, um, you've got this interesting opportunity where you might be making more money, business is growing, and all of that kind of stuff. But the question is, does that mean that you should be going and buy property because property market's going well as well? It should be should you be diversifying? Should you be investing back in your own business? How should you be thinking about that? How long is this boom going to last? There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here. So. What do you think about what do you think about that, Charlie? Where do you want to go with it? Yeah, it's it's a fascinating idea. Um, Keith Cunningham comes to mind, which I think is one of the great authors uh, in the business space, and he has this uh, idea he calls it, which is the uh, bathrobe theory of business. And he's like, you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. Mm. And he goes, that's you know, as we heard, I think it's Warren Buffett who said mm. this is a rising tide floats all ships. Yeah, but it's when one goes out as you only realize who was playing with what risk mm. and how they were playing it. Now, inevitably, in every business cycle, we see major moves. We see many people go under, and I think my opinion here, and this is my opinion, I'm not saying it's true, is there's a tendency to get reckless in boom times, and there's a lot of operators right now that are confusing luck and timing for skill. Mm. So, bad business management will be the undoing of a lot of businesses in this cycle, is my opinion. Yeah, I, I think the same thing is. I think the same thing is true with property. I think the same thing is very, very true with property, because at the moment you've got a lot of businesses that have got a lot of tailwinds, and you know businesses which ostensibly don't have strong foundations and a lot of structural integrity or uh, good business operation skills, business management skills. They're suddenly making a lot more money, and the reason they're making a lot more money is because of pent up consumer spending and increasing consumer confidence. So business is roaring back to life. Which is very exciting. I don't want to start to go, oh my God, I'm having record months. Woo, yay, we're making all this money. And that's great. But as you said, a rising tide lifts all ships. But and and then as you know, and as you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And this is very, very true. The same thing goes with property because uh, in an environment where it appears that you could throw a dart anywhere in Australia and buy a property and it would grow in value, it's kind of true. Like it's kind of true. You probably on a short scale, you would probably have a hard time completely stuffing it up right now. However, uh, that is driven by a sense of FOMO, hubris, optimism and stuff. And fun- And if you're investing in areas that don't have strong fundamentals and economic credentials, then what's actually going to happen is that those prices will revert to the mean. And so you might actually find yourself in a position where you've made a big mistake. And I think the same, I think there's a lot of parallels uh, with business and property in this specific environment. So let's pretend you don't have a government job right now, something yep. so secure and steady that you know anything can happen and you're staying in it. The direct question I'd love to know your opinion on, Goose, is is now the time to actually play semi-defensive or to put the shields up or start optimising for survival instead of maximum gain? I think so, yeah. I actually do. Um so let me talk to let me talk to the business owner uh, uh, quadrant for this because I think it's really I, look I, I have the benefit we have a lot of business owner clients we have a lot of non business owner clients too so I get to see a broad spectrum of of uh, of profiles in the space 
I think that a lot of business owners are potentially make, and this is someone who like we have a business that helps people invest in property, right? So I have a vested interest in people buying, buying properties. Um, that being said, I think that a lot of businesses, uh, business owners specifically, are running the risk of taking their profits when they should be investing back in their business to build a better machine. Because um, I think a lot of businesses. Like for example, if they're making suddenly a hundred thousand dollars more profit, it's very easy to go like, "Oh my god, I've got, I've made an extra hundred grand." Hey, let's just go start funneling that towards property, which on the one hand makes sense from a defensive maneuver because you're diversifying your risk, and so you're saying, "Hey, cool, let's take some of this this money and let's put it into real estate, uh, so that we've got a diversified wealth base and alternative cash flow streams and all of that kind of stuff," and that makes total sense, but. If you are overcooking it, so for example, if you've made a hundred thousand dollar gain and you go, let's just put a hundred thousand dollars wholly into real estate, and then you make another hundred thousand dollar gain and you go, let's put a hundred thousand dollars wholly into real estate, and if that is your only play, then I would suggest that it is no longer a defensive play, and you are actually you're actually exposing yourself to structural risk within the business, because in an environment where you can make gains, you should take a proportionate amount of your gains. To diversify your risk, but you should also reinvest in building a better beast. So, for example, in in that scenario, you might actually do better to invest in diversifying your client acquisition um, strategies, to uh, employing more team, to better serve clients, to innovating your product offerings, uh, all of that kind of stuff. So that if and when the if and when the the fortunes of the economy turn, and I say when, not because I'm thinking they're going to turn in the next 12 months and the whole economy is going to collapse and this is all just a, a fake high. I think we're at the start of a really, really, really strong growth cycle. Like like I do. Um, that's my that's my position. I think that in a general sense, we're going to ha- we're at the start of a macro upswing for the next you know few years. Right. So there's a lot of opportunity to make gains. But I think it's, e- it's easy to get stupid in a few years. It's so easy to get easy. stupid in a few years. And I, uh, I'll only speak for me, but I'm sure there's many business owners that would relate. I'm pretty sure I want to keep making money for more than a few years as well. So unsustained profits, like, you know, it's one thing to make money, but to keep it or keep it sustainable is a completely different game as well. Yeah, totally. You, I think a lot of people confuse um, confuse confuse the way that they think about their uh, business metrics, right? So if you're if you have a standard operating profit of 30%, right? If you've got a net margin of 30%, for example, and then all of a sudden your business has a 70% net margin or a 50% net margin, does that mean you should take 20% off the table and go, well, I guess it's just bonus? What that would say to me is that something about the business dynamic has changed and therefore you need to readjust your expenses in order to make sure that the machine is still operating against maximum efficiency if the maximum efficiency and the best you know service compa- service components and and like and all of that kind of stuff equate to having a 30% net profit it's very unlikely you're suddenly going to jump from 30% to 50% net profit and for the machine to still be working the way that it should okay so you'd probably need to reassess that and go okay well maybe I was making $500,000 and now I'm making a million dollars. But you kind of need to rebalance your margins as a way to do a head check to go, are we keeping enough in the business or are we just taking it all out? I thought I've been having a lot lately around this topic is the world's just gone through a big change. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. Yeah. 
I really look at this right now and say, how many businesses are not investing in innovation, right? Because I, even in, like I'm in media and in the last 12 months, the technology that's now running through our industry is dramatically better. And so very few are using it. And I really wonder for the businesses that are clever enough not to spend their profits foolishly at the moment, those who choose to invest in innovation and building war chests and things like that, I think are going to be far better off on the long-term scale than becoming overly optimistic with AMGs or uh, high-risk property investments or cryptocurrency. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's really interesting, right? Because you say innovation and a lot of business owners would be like, oh, but we don't, we run an engineering firm or I'm a coach. Maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a, maybe I run a coaching business. What kind of innovation can a coach do? Right. And so innovation sometimes I think gets uh, misinterpreted by people as I guess that means that we've got to like invent some kind of space satellite and we've got to try and reinvent something. It doesn't necessarily mean that at all. Like you can have business model innovation or you can reinvest in structural integrity innovation in the business. So for example, if you were if you were running a coaching business, for example, and you've been making good money, but you've essentially got dancing bear syndrome, which is that the only way the business makes makes money is if you show up and do the dance and do all the coaching and there's no you can't you can't step away from the business because it's got a it's got a cult of personality and you know you're a godhead in the business and not, it doesn't work if you don't show up. You get sick, you don't work. Uh, you don't work, you don't make money. Your clients leave; they're unhappy, right? So, a way to innovate in that model would be to go, okay, well, I was making fifty grand last month, and now I'm making hundred grand. Instead of then saying, hey, I'm going to take a fifty grand and put it into into real estate, which actually could be fear driven because you might be like, I don't know how long this is going to last. Quickly, let's just try and invest. Actually, maybe if you spent that $50,000 to go, okay, I uh, I actually don't know how to build out processes in my business or how to codify the coaching that I'm doing, maybe I could hire a consultant or an assistant or someone to come in and help me to codify that so that I can get 100, 100, make $100,000 months consistently and over and over again, and it's not going to rely on me being in the business. And that is a way to build better structural integrity in the business. Now, one of the things that I think is very interesting at the moment is the impact that the unemployment rate is having on businesses. Um, because you know, unemployment rates are low and that's good for the economy and businesses roaring back to life and all that kind of stuff. But it means cost of, cost of team is going up. Um, but also, as the cost of team is going up, there's also uh, that's actually driving increased consumer spending, which has an interesting cyclical effect on business because then people are earning more money, so then they spend more money. And so, for example, maybe the person who couldn't afford to get a coach can now afford to get a coach because they've got a pay rise because there's they're, there's more competition in the job market. Uh, and then also that drives up um, things like property prices as well. So there's an interesting flywheel effect there as well, where. Uh, you know, as the cost of team goes up, but also so does so does the the velocity of money as well. So there's this interesting balancing act and game that I think needs to be played there as well. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. I just wanted to share quickly some yep. unique innovations I've seen because I think this is a really interesting topic. Um, I did something crazy during the lockdowns of Melbourne as I actually bought a caravan. Um, <laughs> so I purchased a caravan. I was like, right, I'm getting ready for doomsday no i just wanted i've always dreamed of doing caravanning it was a uh unusual purchase for the timing but i've always wanted one so i won't say it was too sporadic but i actually bought the caravan what makes it crazy this is the crazy part so i'm in melbourne victoria i bought the caravan from queensland 
sight unseen and the guy actually did a virtual tour of the caravan and sold it to me via video call. So I know you mentioned before like engineering, but I'm like it doesn't get much more, I don't know, we'll call it bland than a caravan dealership. Yeah, like yeah, it's a pretty yeah. stock standard business model and they're investing in uh, technology to live stream and sell caravans so people can see them and experience them online. And I go, that's so unique. I have friends who are in the events industry who are now live streaming um, events and in person and combining the two as well. So if you're in any type of industry that once upon a time you relied on that in-person factor, you could be the one in your industry that starts to innovate that and there's huge potential gain for it. The second one I'll say, and this is the other one, is like I think software is the other area where businesses should be paying more attention. Yep. You're probably spending too much time on things that could be automated now. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually it's a really interesting point you raise because that's actually where we're at. So we have a very complex tech stack uh, at the moment, and we're going okay. How do we now automate this? How do we how do we develop our own platforms and stuff like that? Because it's ultimately going to uh, make life easier, but also provide a better client experience and create more IP. So we're we're actively investing in that area as well, which is fascinating. So you think about real estate, and it's like okay, it's pretty. You know, it's it's all houses and stuff like that. But actually, there's a huge element that that we're investing in software and science and all of these other areas in the business, which I think is really really interesting. So, um, yeah, I think I think you raised some good points. There's like innovation can happen on loads of different front fronts, and I think and I think that the more that business owners can think about, like, because business model innovation, I think is something that that a lot of business owners don't think about and the impact that that can have. Uh, a lot of a lot of people think purely around um, profit or cash flow, but they don't necessarily think about equity and value as well. And there's different ways to think about how much your business might be worth and what it's going to do for you too. So for example, you could innovate your business model from a, uh, a, a one-time service through to a subscription. And what that could do is obviously that's going to deplete your cash flows in the early phase, but it's going to create better cash flow continuity over a uh, longer term and also increase your the business value, which is going to give you a better equity position and also make you more lendable uh, by, by banks because you'll actually have a healthier, stronger business with more stability uh, and it won't be as volatile. So there's all these kind of things that people could do now to shore up their position. So it's not all about taking more money out of the business, but if you could... If you could take a business that's earning $1 million a year in revenue and has and has a value of $1 million because it's essentially a cash flow business and there's no asset value, if you could turn that into a subscription-based business, if you could innovate the business model, uh, if you could turn that into a technology-based business by changing the, the access and the service and all of that kind of stuff, you could turn that from a $1 million business into a $5 million business or an $8 million business. Now, what and using the same amount of revenue. So whilst that might not change the amount of cash flow that you have, what that will do is change your wealth position. And then that's going to give you an opportunity to then reassess how you can then use that wealth to accelerate, like your wealth in the business to accelerate your wealth outside of the business, which is why I think that there's a, there's a real risk of business owners playing a short game here. Um, and well, the most short- play a short game. Sorry? <laughs> most play a short game. Yeah, There's one totally. thing I'm certain of. Do you know what I love about this conversation though, Goose, is there's been several recommendations and ideas for business innovation or playing business differently. And even though we're both super bullish on property, I could actually justify in certain circumstances for certain people, they would be better off 
innovating and over the long term would do much better than just trying to get property now because Agreed. of fear and a whole bunch of other things. Apart from innovation, though, I want to ask another side of things because I've been I've been very curious about this. I've been uh, I'll say I've been put under scrutiny for some of my beliefs in this area. But how do you feel about minimizing risk within the business so it can be more sustainable? So I'll give you the example. Mm. This run is a great run, but no one knows when it's going to end or how long it's going to go for or how high it goes or whatever it is. So some form of preparation or buffers or war chesting is appropriate to think about in the good times. It really is. And I think we're in that time right now. How do you navigate the idea of, well, how much buffer should I put aside if I'm a business owner? Or what risks am I going to try and mitigate apart through trying to innovate my way through this or hire a team? How do you think about that? It's a good question and it's going to come down to risk profile. Okay, So if you are ultra aggressive uh, and have a high tolerance for risk, you might have one month's worth of operating expenses in the bank, right? If you have, I was having a panic attack as you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, but I, but you know, there are some people where that's okay. And the reason that that might be okay is if they have a lot of trailing revenues, for example. So, for example, if they have a high, uh, high amount of accounts receivable or debtors, but they've got consistent uh, regular payments coming through and stuff, they might they might have a consistent enough revenue source. Government that, the, contract or something like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. So the, the 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 premise of having, you know, a month in there is probably maybe okay. I actually know a business owner who who runs whose whose business is significantly large. You know, like uh, up towards a hundred million dollars in in annual revenue. Who has a month, about a month, or about six weeks of cash at bank. But because that's because of the stability of the revenue stream. So they're like, it's fine. You know, they've been running the business for ten years. It's all good. Vice versa. I heard a story about the other day um, about a business that had. Uh, like four years worth of buffer, right? So they were like, "Yeah, that's all good. We don't need. We could not make a sale for four years, and we're going to be fine." That to me is like grossly inefficient, you know. Uh, fat bank, fat bank balances make lazy business owners, right? So, and I think that there's that a balance. Fascinating, right? The polarization there, and that person probably thinks they're doing um, in their mind. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's like for them, like that's where oh, they, were, is. they were proud of it. They were like, yeah, yeah, they run a huge, big logistics company, massive, massive logistics company, and they're like, yeah, 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 it's great. And I'm like, wow, that sucks. That that breeds laziness. That breeds inefficiency. And it's like, ah, well, it doesn't really matter if we make any sales. Whatever, it's all good. It doesn't matter if our service goes down. Whatever. <laughs> so, um, so that kind of sucks. Um. Uh, and you've probably got a different opinion on this to me, but uh, you know, for I think for a lot of business owners, like three, three to four months is probably good. The challenge, the challenge with buffers is when you're in a growth phase in your business, as you are growing your business, you're growing your expenses. So yes, your your revenue will be increasing, but in order to effectively scale your business, you have to aggressively invest in extra expenses, and sometimes that can come at the cost of uh, some of your buffer. So. I, I think it's good. To, I think it's good probably to aim for sort of three to four months, even in a growth phase. Um, but you're going to have to assess assess what your risk is, because then you're also going to need to think about what if it all go, what if it all fails. So, for example, you might say, "Look, we're scaling the business, and we've got two months of buffer." Um, but what we have built is a whole lot of unique IP. Um, we've got a huge amount of asset value. We've got a lot of equity on the balance sheet. Um, all of this kind of stuff. So you might have actually built a very strong business that has a lot of value, but have a small amount of buffer. And if you could assess 
with a reasonable degree of certainty, um, whether if things went wrong, you would have the ability to seek funding, whether that be through investors or convertible notes or um, you know from a bank or some other way that you could have a get out of jail free card, then you might be able to use that as part of your risk assessment as well. What do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting topic, uh, particularly in the last 12 months, a very, very interesting topic. So I used to have the opinion that three months expenses so you could run your business without making any money for three months was a healthy place. Um, I've actually changed it to six. I've uh, doubled it. Um, the reason for that and how I look at it now is because of what I've seen and been through in the last 12 months in industry and world, and we all have. I'm not saying I'm unique. It's made me think about it very, very differently than I once did. So I moved my buffers aggressively up in the idea that Three months in the in the wake of a pandemic, three months isn't a long time. Mm. We were locked down in Melbourne for three months, and I would have been severely limited on movements and opportunity in that endeavor. So I, I made that choice. It made me I realize there's an opportunity cost to holding more capital within the business, but it makes me more comfortable in the other regards. Additionally, I also actually have a game plan now as well of how I approach it. So if there was an event where, and, and I'll put some uh, context around this, I had several uh, clients in the media company who uh, ran events. They're event businesses. How they make money is events. So they ring you uh, the week later and I had four of them in the same week where they're like, yeah, uh, we got no revenue. We can't work with you anymore. Like we're going to have to stop what we're doing. And it's like, it, it kind of shell shocked me Yeah, where I was like, this could just happen on and on. So that was the trigger to do other things. I mean, thankfully, we've had a very good year in business and like it's, to your point, great times in my industry. But I didn't necessarily see that in the time. So after that week had happened, I sat down and said, well, if this continues, how am I going to play this? Hmm. Like how am I going to retain my key people? What other things could we do to extend our runway? How could we reduce costs? And the, the idea I had this is that I realized how emotional I was on the back of those four calls thinking the world was going to end. I mean, clearly it's not, but that's how I felt. Yep. And I realized that I was actually becoming really poor in decision-making. Yes. So I wanted to have not just cash, but a game plan. Yep. So to go, okay, if this happens, this is what I'm going to do. So that if the moments come up, it wouldn't be an emotional decision. It would be something that could be better orchestrated than I was. So that were, that were my main two. It's not just the buffer of cash, but also the, the game plan of how to do it. And then also uh, what conversations need to be had, how we might run things out in, in just a whole encompassing series of events. Yeah. And I think you touched on a really good point there, right? These kind of things can drive us to have poor decision making, right? So essentially, we start to operate out of fear. Now, fear can cause people to do a variety of different things, right? Usually dumb, right? More often than not, dumb. So, it, it okay, is, so coffee nearly came out my nose then. Um. <laughs> but, but it's true, right? So in a scenario like that, so let's say you're a business owner and you've had some disruption recently. And for a lot of for a lot of people, business owner or not, right, there are like the the scars of 2020 are still fresh, right? So and and the, and I mean that in a literal sense, like in the emotional toll, it's still people are still uncertain. They are struggling to think further into the distance because they're they're still rocked by the fact that everything changed so rapidly. And that's normal because we're all humans. So you could do a few things, right? If you're a business owner, you could operate out of fear and say, right, I'm not going to spend any money. I'm going to keep my expenses as low as possible. I'm not going to spend any money. Like, you know, 
don't re- recycle paper clips, right? Like everyone just like keep the costs as low as possible and not reinvest and just go, I just need to build up cash at bank. What if it all goes wrong? What if it all goes wrong? What if it all goes wrong? And you start could actually to- cause it by doing that. Bingo. Bingo, right? Because you're not uh, you're not balancing risk. You could just build up a big buffer and be operating out of fear. And that could actually corrode team culture. That could mean that you're not optimizing your service, all of these different things. And you could actually completely destroy your business and have the count have the counter effect of what you're trying to achieve by doing that. So that's not a solution. The other way you could think about it is go, geez, I don't know how long this is going to last. Quick, let's take all the money we can out of it and build a war chest outside of the business and build up personal wealth. Because what if it all falls apart? Well, okay, probably if you're thinking like that. Wait, was that me? No, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. It, it was, it, but I thought it was an appropriate timing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. But, you know, but a lot of business owners, they, they, they choose not to. I, I like, here's an interesting thing, right? A lot of business owners uh, want to have as many variable costs as possible, right? And they don't like to hire people full-time. And I think that that, that really says something about a business. It says to me- I think that's the worst decision ever. Yeah. It says to me that you're expecting your business to fail. So if you want to get someone on board and you just purely want them to be on a commission only or a variable basis or whatever, what you're saying is, I have no idea- if this business is going to grow or die, therefore, I want your fortunes to be tied to the fortunes of the business because I don't want to be left holding the bag. right? And it's to me, I think it's you're operating out of a place of fear. Vice versa, when someone needs a, a role in the business, they either need a role or they don't. right? And there are some exceptions to this rule. But generally speaking, the reason people might hire, a business owner might hire someone part-time is because they're like, well, uh, well, we've got this thing that we need to solve. But geez, maybe we could just get someone to do it for like 15 hours a week, maybe like 20 hours a week. And so what they're actually thinking about is what is the specific problem now? And if we assume that we are never going to grow, then that is the only problem that we need to solve is this 15-hour problem. However, if the business were to grow, then perceivably that same issue, whether it be bookkeeping or whatever the case may be, is probably going to become a bigger job as well. So... In that, on that basis, I think a lot of people make the mistake of trying to hedge on where they are now and go, look, oh, I don't know if it's going to change. We might not get any bigger than this. Let's not overcook it. And I think that that's a, that's a really broken fear mentality. And so you've got these kind of things where people, I think, are self-sabotaging and then they're setting themselves up for failure. And as I, as I mentioned, you know, people that are just going, holy crap, I don't know if this is going to last. Let's just chuck all our money into property. And I think that that then causes them to, to sabotage their business. Um, I think right now, like... As you as you going back to what you said earlier, like when times are good, is it the time to be aggressive or is it time to be defensive? I think it's a it's about both. Like you can't have a foot in uh, one camp or the other. You've got to have a dual strategy. So, for example, if you made an additional hundred thousand dollars of profit, you should really like quite literally go, okay, how do I take half of that to be aggressive, and how do I take half of that to be defensive? And I think that that's going to be a more balanced approach. Potentially. A very, it's so circumstantial. And even as you're saying these things, I find it so, so fascinating in, in general. Yeah. Because I, I, much to your point, we're talking about like, you know, things go wrong here, but like I must admit, like even uh, on the news uh, more recently or in media or online, like everyone's saying property's booming apparently. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, but I'll say that that is the media message. It's the media message for sure. Like it's not, it's not what's happening in real, in the real world is not exactly what's happening in the media. 
but to my point, it's easy for me to have FOMO and almost want to get in and uh, break my own rules on the upside as well. Like there's this interesting paradigm of like, you know, I want to play super defensive when things are bad and probably overly. Mm. And then when times are good is like overly aggressive as well. So it's that point you just mentioned about finding that balance, like the the ability to make a mess of things exists in both paradigms. Yeah, 100%. And I think that there's a really good point to, that, that I would like for us to explore. And that is how to make investment decisions, right? So let's let's assume we've gone past this idea. Okay, so the, let's just say the business is going a little bit better and you get, got over fear and you're going, okay, I'm going to have a partially defensive and partially aggressive strategy. Then how do you how do you then think about approaching your investment strategy when it comes to okay now I'm going out into a marketplace to invest and you know it feels like the place is booming and I've got FOMO and all of this kind of stuff how should I be thinking about capitalizing on that and I, I think this is where a lot of people are making mistakes is that they're as I said earlier they're either buying in locations that don't have uh, strong economic credentials and fundamentals or they're buying assets. Don't support the future the future risk profile of of any marketplace, right? So, for example, people are going, "Oh my God, Sydney's booming! Let's just buy in Sydney." But they're compromising on yields and doing all this kind of stuff. The easiest way to think about how to structure your real estate business is to look at what the institutional investors are doing. Okay, so the institutional investors will first and foremost target assets that are at an opportune opportune point in the cycle and 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 present an opportunistic deal opportunity so uh, good price uh, good location all that kind of stuff they don't overpay they'll never overpay and they also have a focus on yield okay I just have to laugh. I just can't see Warren Buffett buying in Sydney because um, oh man Sydney's booming I'm gonna buy in Sydney no. I can't see it <laughs> well no partly partly because of his value investing investing principles say that um, a business must have free cash flow, basically. Right? A really simple format. He looks at the profit and loss in the balance sheet and goes, is it making money or not? And if it's not making any money, you ain't going to buy it. There's no way Warren Buffett would buy in Sydney. Um, vice versa, you know, it's, it's very interesting because um, Blackstone have been doing some very large acquisition fund plays in, in Australia. Uh, and they recently did the largest single real property transaction in, in Australian history, $3.8 billion. Uh, uh, that's, and so that's what, so awesome. I love that. It's so good. It's so good. And it was an amalgamated group of uh, logistics properties. So FMCG logistics uh, properties, warehouses, freestands, stuff like that, that accumulated a bunch, uh, all really good tenancies and all that kind of stuff. Now, the way to assess the viability of that portfolio is based on its ability to support its own debt. Okay. So you've got They'll take, a, they'll take a long view. So typically, any Blackstone fund is a 10-year play. That's a typical structure of a Blackstone fund. It'll be... Uh, and so for, for everyone's benefit, Blackstone is uh, one of, if not the largest private equity firm in the world, and I think the largest uh, single real estate investor in the world. And they're a behemoth, you know, and it's a very fascinating story. But um, their funds, so what they'll do is they'll raise a fund. They'll say, hey, guys, we want to go and uh, create this fund. And we're, in this fund, we're going to buy logistics assets, for example. And so they'll raise a bunch of capital. And then they'll say, everyone who puts in your money, you're not going to be able to get access to it for 10 years because they would need to take a longer term timeline to it. And then what they will do is they will buy assets, regardless of whether it's logistics or not. They will buy assets that are going to be able to produce a profit on the way, right? And also use market forces to create gains, right? So for example, they'll play cycles. So they get growth, 
but the assets must be based on yield. So whether they be buying businesses, the business must produce enough free cash flow that it's not going to corrode the investor's capital. Um, if it's real estate assets, they must produce a high enough yield, which is typically why institutional investors often look for large scale uh, commercial because large scale commercial typically has lower yields than small commercial, but those yields are still going to be high enough to cover the cost of debt and operating costs of the fund. So they'll be profitable along the way. And I think that this is, you can, people can learn a lot from that because when you, when it really boils down to it, there's a couple of principles there. Okay. Let's take a 10 year view and let's make sure it's cash flow positive. And that, and I think, I think if that's a, a, a model that we can all use as we're making these investment decisions, in these times, I think that that's going to serve as well because at the moment, yields are going down, broadly speaking, across the market because prices are going up faster than rents are. So as prices go up faster than rents, people are going to get caught out by going, well, oh, look, it's uh, it's all, uh, it's not that bad. It's all right. And then they'll make decisions which are going to cor- corrode those basic invest- investment fundamentals. Do you know what? The, I feel like I got slapped in the face as you said that because I was like, maybe, and I'll say maybe, this is just a, a running thought. Maybe that's the whole key is to think more of a sustainable view is to try and remove the short-term decision-making and going, okay, if I was going to pull this 100 grand out of my business, is this because I'm trying to make a quick buck or what's actually going to get the best return long-term? Like if I'm optimising for sustainability and ensuring this show goes on it, how would I play it then? Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely think that. Because if you're thinking, if if your viewpoint in your business is, geez, this could fall over in this whole business. I don't know if this is going to last another 12 months. I'm going to go invest in real estate. Probably the wrong play, right? Because you're going to be making investment decisions based on short-term potential or short-term perceived opportunity. There's no guarantee that opportunity is what you think it is just because you perceive it in that way. Um, and so what we need to do is we need to, we actually need to go, okay, so the market is a little frothy right now. How do we make investment decisions that are not based on the froth? Vice versa, just in the times where um, markets may be somewhat depressed. So, for example, I don't know, like you know, Sydney, you know, from twenty seventeen to twenty to twenty twenty one, you know, the Sydney market was down. You know, in terms of real estate, everyone thinks Sydney's so great, but it lost, you know, lost the median price dropped by a couple of hundred thousand dollars between twenty seventeen and twenty nineteen. You know, so it's don't, don't you find that interesting though? Where was everyone to take advantage of it? Yeah, exactly right. So you got to make you got to make in, in decisions based on long term uh, uh, long term prospectus, and it's exactly the same reason that we don't advocate buying in mining towns. Now, that being said, um, you know at some point in the future, we if we can advance our technology enough to be able to like get a, you know to work all that out, awesome. But for the general person, you've got to make you got to make decisions based on a, a longer time horizon. So there's no point going where is it booming now? Let's buy there. You actually want to go, okay, where is it make, going to make sense for us to buy and hold this for the next 10 years, right? Now, you should probably be thinking 20 or 30 years as well, but you think about it like a fund. You want to have the yields to cover it, right? So they produce free cash flow and, and, and net profit to cover all your operating costs. And you want to take a longer-term view, and that will allow you to cut through the froth. Yeah, I like that a lot, Goose. I like that a lot. That's uh, certainly – I must admit, I'm just looking at my calendar here. It's coming towards the end of um, April. Mm. Right. And I must admit my viewpoint and how I've been thinking is like, how do I make this month look great? What am I doing for this month? And it's like how bad or I shouldn't say bad, but that isn't the right mindset to take into what am I making strategic money decisions with for the long term? Yeah, totally. And and a really good a really good example of that is um is Jeff Bezos, right? 
he early on with Amazon, um, he was just not worried about making any profits, right? And he was just increasing the asset value, increasing the user, investing in the investing in the the customer experience, and all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of the investors were like, "Dude, you got to you, this thing has got to start making money." And he was just he just refused to. He was just like, "No, no, we're good, we're good, we're playing a longer game." Stop thinking short term. Stop thinking short term. And he played such a long game. Now look, right? Now look, right? They're, they're tremendously huge. Same thing goes with Atlassian. So for those of you who don't know, Atlassian is a, uh, a, a software technology company from Australia. The, huge. the billion dollar Australian company that no one's heard of. <laughs> oh, dude, I know. And they're like one of the biggest real estate investors in Australia as well. You know that, right? Yeah. yeah. Such Fan- good. Fantastic company and some of the smartest people Australia's ever produced. Yeah. Yeah, they're building a billion-dollar um, uh, office building in Sydney. So, oh, so good! Uh, I've got a lot of respect to those guys. Anyway, um, same, same, same position, uh, same, same viewpoint they take. You know, they, they, they tell, they tell their team and their investors like, who cares whether the shares of share price is up or down? It really doesn't matter. What value is the business going to be creating in five years' time? That's the that's the question they are always asking. And I think if we take that viewpoint, it kind of changes the perspective of your of your of how you would approach business. You know, it's not actually about it's not actually about making money, right? It's about creating value. So it's easy to make money in the short term. You just you know kill all your expenses, charge as much as you can, and take the spread, right? And that's a really that's like a hustler's way of making money, right? A hustler's way of making money would be, oh my god, there's a car for sale. All right, I'm going to negotiate and get this for the cheapest possible price. Right, and then I'm going to try and find somebody else where I can sell it for the maximum possible price, and I'm going to take the spread. And it's like, bam, they made whatever five grand. That's a hustler's way of making money, and that works if you want to be burnt out and if you don't want to have no longevity. But if you actually want to build a an empire, and you know, and I don't mean like I, I mean that in the sense of your own personal wealth empire. Like if you want to build something that is going to be able to withstand the tidal waves of economic change and cultural change and all of that kind of stuff and thrive and prosper, you need to be playing a longer game. You need to not be saying, how do I take cash now? Like for example, rather than saying, geez, what single one move could I make today to get me the most amount of cash flow? You should actually be thinking, okay, what is what? How am I going to create longevity? What is going to set me up so that in ten years I can a not work and also continue to grow my wealth rather than just going, you know, for example, let's just say um, I got I got ten million dollars today. I could go and invest ten million dollars in cash flow real estate and then what? Stop and do nothing, maybe. Right. So you got to think, what is going to be the continuity plan? How are you going to continue to expand? On that, and I think that that changes the way we should think about our business, and also the way we should think about our property portfolio. Completely, goose. And I think that's the thought we'll round this one out on: longevity, sustainability, and being in it for the long game, playing that Blackstone game. Yeah. Is there any final thoughts you want to add in? Otherwise, we'll wrap this one up. No, I think it's no, I think it's good. I think it's good. I think I think the the only the I think a key message from from this episode is not to get caught in the hubris, right? Just because things are going well, you're not a genius, <laughs> right? Chances are you're not a genius. Chances are there's tailwinds. Chances are just in the same way that, you know, you've experienced times where uh, there's been economic challenges, there's economic prosperity. And what you actually need to find is a baseline. You need to be, that's, you need to be centered and you need to make long-term decisions and make sure you're investing in both a, a defensive and offensive strategies to get there. Absolutely. I second that. Awesome. Cool, Charlie. Nice to chat. Funny way to wrap up the episode.
I thought it was great. I was going to leave you hanging. <laughs> See you guys.